Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform, subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. We have some sold out shows, but we still have a lot of shows where we have no show rates of maybe 25 to 30%. And especially when it's sold out shows, that's quite bad because normally we would think that everyone who bought a ticket also would come to the show. But then at the end, it's like 50, 60 people missing. That's a lot of money missing because the people bought the tickets, but they're not there and they don't drink drinks at the bar, which is a big source of income for us. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. This week I'm sharing a special panel discussion I moderated on December 3rd at Viva Sounds, a conference and live music showcase that takes place annually in Gothenburg, Sweden, and is hosted by Westside Music. This panel, titled My Best Friend, looks at the live music sector from a small, independent venue owner and operator's perspective. We venture beyond the headlines that dominated mainstream and trade media, which generally portrayed a triumphant return of live music, and into what types of internal and external challenges these crucial members of the live music sector face while the industry collectively attempts to find its footing again after pandemic closures. While this conversation is a snapshot in time, I think it's extremely relevant not only now, but to be able to look back upon when we try to understand music business challenges more broadly. I've provided information on each of the panelists and their spaces, as well as the conference in the episode notes. Let's dive and get heavy. Good afternoon again, everyone. This is the last panel at Abyss. Before we start, I think it's worth giving a round of applause for everyone that's been up here so far, and also to Westside Music for hosting Viva Sounds and being so supportive of independent music. This last panel, we're focusing on small independent venues, which I'm a little biased, but this is probably the most important topic of this entire conference. I don't work for Westside, so I can be partial. In any event, I don't think I really need to lay this out entirely, but small venues play a really, really important role for artists as a platform for small artists and also an opportunity for fans to engage with the artists, both the small ones as they come up and then also in the case of underplays, a place that facilitates a unique connection between an artist and the audience. At the same time, they serve a social function as a meeting place and a place that supports the industry in general. You can't learn how to do live sound in a rehearsal space or learn how to cover bands in a rehearsal space. Without a question, there's also been a ton of challenges to small venues We have pandemic support, pandemic not support, a flight of talent of people from the live music industry into other industries, and then new people coming into uh, work in venues and hospitalities, which hasn't always been the easiest, together with a highly saturated environment, canceled shows, rebook shows, re-rebook shows, and I'm sure everyone up here has had re-re-re-rebook shows and high operating costs. There's a lot of challenges here, but I think there's also some opportunities that we can look at. To kind of walk through all of this, we've got some awesome folks from all over Europe. We have Amira Gluich from headquarters in Aarhus, Lilia Ols from Hafenklang in Hamburg, and Oscar Friedan from Fidens Ol Cafe down the street. Let's kind of begin with setting some stage. Amira, do you kind of want to walk us into headquarters and let us know what uh, what the place is like and how you kind of found yourself as the owner and operator? Well, um, the adventure started like 12 years ago with my partner Ole, who's sitting right down there. We needed a 
or needed. It was actually mostly because of uh, egoistic reasons, because there was like no places in Aarhus where original new music was welcome. You had we have like uh, three huge venues in the city supported all by the government, and it was really hard to get inside. Uh, and ticket prices were like, I was studying at that, that point, so the tickets were like four hundred kroner. That's a lot of money. So yeah, we started. We started as a thing. Didn't think that much about it. Uh, Love the seventies, so the place is full of. Uh, Wallpaper from the seventies and brown walls, but um, that's how it started, and twelve years ago today. And Lilia Hoffenklang, I think, is the largest of the venues represented here. You have two stages. Tell us a little bit about this place. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Lilia from yeah Hafenklang in Hamburg, and uh, my venue is located close to the river Elbe and close to Fish Market. Maybe some of you have been there while going to Hamburg. Um, yeah, so it's a quite unique spot to have a venue and quite nice because it's close to Reeperbahn where all the other clubs are, but it's not directly at Reeperbahn. So we don't have that many drunk tourists coming by and uh, being annoying. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of audience that's coming directly to the venue because they really want to see shows there. And yeah, like you said, we have two floors, 260 and 180 capacity. And uh, genre-wise, we are mostly into punk and metal and hardcore, but also indie. And we also have uh, parties at the weekend, so drum and bass and techno and uh, wave parties as well. So it's quite wide genre-wise. And did you find your way into music, into the business as an enthusiast or as a performer? Um, not as a performer, as an enthusiast, I was. I would say, yeah. So I I studied, or uh, not studied, but I did an apprenticeship at a concert agency before, like after school, for three years. And that's how I came to Hafenklang, because we did a lot of shows there. And then I decided to yeah, change um, the sides of working from agency to venue. And Oscar, for those unfamiliar, do you want to describe Fidens and what the place is like and how you found yourself there? Yeah, it's a 100-seat uh, club next to a big uh, record store, uh, which we uh, share the building. I've been working there for four years, and it's been Fidens Oil Café for like three years. But we had shows uh, in this uh, venue for maybe eight years or so. Uh, but since uh, my boss uh, Jenny and Emma took over the place, it's been more like a full uh, uh, music club. And um, yeah, everything from country to punk and electro. Of the shows that you've had recently, Amira, how many of them are still like the cancelled re-re-re-book shows? Or are you starting to see those end entirely and now you've got new shows from the start? Yeah, they're mostly ended. Thank God. Uh, like during COVID, our uh, venue was closed for a year and a half. Cancelled 175 shows and moved a whole shitload uh, but it's like ending now and thank God for that. Things, things are like back to normal, I guess. For us, it's been back to normal. We don't see the, a lot of, in Denmark especially, there've been like so many uh, complaining about the audience not being there. I didn't say before that I do everything from, I'm head of music. I do everything from death metal to avant garde jazz. So it's diverse and I haven't seen, we have a capacity of 180. Um, haven't seen that like much fall in the audience. 
So it's been amazing. I have so many sold out shows and I'm so grateful. Lilia, is your experience similar? Do things feel good as far as the capacity and reaching them with the shows? Unfortunately, not as good as it sounds with you, Amiria, because we, we have some sold out shows, yes, but we still have a lot of shows where we have no show rates of maybe 25 to 30% sometimes. And especially when it's sold out shows, that's quite bad because we normally we would think that everyone who bought a ticket also would come to the show. But then at the end, it's like 50, 60 people missing, which are tickets which we could have sold at the box office. And of course, that's a lot of money missing because then, of course, the people bought the tickets, but they're not there and they don't drink tickets, uh, drinks at the bar, which is a big uh, source of income for us. Yeah, so it's still, we're still struggling. And I think it's in, in Germany, it's how it is for most of the venues. Might, might it be smaller venues, but also for the bigger venues. I think it's, yeah, all around, it's the same problems. I think for us, this might sound a bit stupid. Luckily, uh, I think we're the only venue at that size in Aarhus. So that's why we don't have like the same issues. Hamburg, I could imagine there's a lot of the same size venues uh, doing the same thing probably the same here probably uh, we had a couple of venues closing during uh, covid shutting down totally so we're like the smallest venue in the city doing what we do that's why i guess so the whole audience is just like towards us and so like in a way fortunately and unfortunately the closures have been in some way a benefit to your space because now this is a place where you have access to a lot more talent and people can go for that experience exactly and the same thing like i don't have to fight with other venues about booking shows you know like uh, with the, around the bands so so um, i can just pick and Oscar, I know the walk-up is an important part of Fudens, both because it's a community place, but also that's a big part of when you're doing shows. The walk-up is important. Did you see a change in the audience attendance as a result of like where we've been with both post-ish pandemic and then also the elevated level of competition for people's time and attention? Our shows is basically mostly practices. It's 100 persons, 100 tickets, and we are 30 people booking different types of music. So... Mostly when we can do the shows, they're all like fucking packed. But now we have a problem with the neighbors that we probably will get into. It's not really a competition in the area because uh, yeah, you have uh, Skeppet and you have uh, Oceanen, Musikishus, Hengmatan. And um, everybody's supporting each other and basically doing their own thing. So I can book what I want and I don't... It's not a competition between uh, the venues at uh, Sibersolid, I think. Uh, even before the pandemic and uh, just after the pandemic, like every Friday and Saturday is basically packed. So It sounds like in some way you're finding ways to be cooperative and collaborative with other spaces because you can share the talent that's out there because there are a number of small spaces. Yeah, and you have to because it's um, us against them, um, not neighbors per se, but uh, when you're part of this culture, soon, it depends how you look at it, but I look at it as a type of counterculture, so it's always going to be like, you always have to push, like I don't want it to be hard, but it's probably always going to be hard, so we have to stick together the venues that believe in each other and um, want to see this neighborhood thrive. And Lilia, are you finding a lot of cooperation and collaboration with other venues of your size or potentially even smaller that maybe you weren't seeing before? Um, yes, there were, like, we have friends anyways with uh, a lot of venues in town. So there's 
no, not even if we have a lot of competition, there's not such thing as you are like that you hate each other or that you're not talking to each other. It's it's more like a really big scene of people supporting each other in a way if they can, of course. And um, normally before COVID, it was also the case that you would always look, okay, if you have like a punk show that you would not do it the same day as another punk show was booked at another venue because, yeah, there would have been even more competition. But now you cannot book like this because you have to see which slot is left, like which date, and then book it anyways, even if there are four other punk shows at the same time um, because you just have to get rid of these shows that have been postponed for like two years now and but as you said it's the same with us it's it's the ending now luckily so we can start doing more shows again and in hamburg as i don't know if you if you have it in sweden as well or somewhere else in other countries we have uh, this uh, kind of lobby called uh, club combinat in berlin, in berlin there's the club commission and this is kind of a lobby or like a where, where all clubs in hamburg are coming together so it's like a yeah lobby and people that take care of the venues businesses and uh, also problems that occur and uh, especially during corona it was quite nice to be in such a um, company with other clubs and with people who took care of us so we had a good um, way to speak to the Hamburg uh, government, for example, and tell them, okay, we have, like, all venues have to shut down immedi immediately next week, which was in March 2020. And uh, so suddenly none of us had any income from one day to the next day. So because we all had to survive and had to keep the clubs running and to, to still pay rent, it was a really good way to go to the government in a really short time and tell them through this Uh, club combinat what we would need like what amount of money all the clubs are needing and um yeah so uh i think that even it was if it was a really bad time it helped a lot for us as clubs and as a community to grow together and uh yeah to help each other and yeah that was quite nice to see so there was actually like a structure that was created to have all of the venues working together towards a common goal. So Oscar in Sweden is the level of support there in some way for small venues. And is there support not just from above, but also between the spaces? Yeah, well, there is, but uh, mostly it's um, organizations like Wayside Music, Kultur Ungdom and uh, stuff like that. Uh, mostly when it comes to the state, it's, um, how do you say, um, how do you say Luftslott in uh, English? Air castles. <laughs> uh, there is support, but mostly you should rely on yourself and the culture in itself and the venues and the friends who are doing this. Because um, I feel when it comes to politicians, everybody uh, like says they support this and that and they think it's good, but when it comes down to it, they don't really give a fuck. So, but the music scene here is strong. So when you work with DIY ethics, like. You can you can make money somewhere, and you can make it happen. Amira, tell me a little bit about the community in Aarhus that is a part of the venue, and how supportive are they, and how are you finding ways to connect with them, whether positive or negative? <clears throat> well, in Denmark, we have something called regional venues that are like a hundred percent supported by the government. Uh, so they get like all their money from the government, and then they run their businesses. And we have three of them in Aarhus, and they're pretty big. We're the only small, independent, private venue uh, in the city doing what we do. But that being said, 
Mm, we have had Train, which is the biggest venue in the city. Uh, we have had like a cooperation with them for 10 years. They have to do their concerts in K1, K2, K3. So the sizes, the government puts up some rules for them and they have to like do their concerts in sizes. So for them, it's really expensive to open doors for uh, their smaller concerts called K1. And they put most of their shows, if I say yes, down at my place. So they pay for the music and I host it. And that works really well for both parts. But for us, they are our colleagues and not our enemies. <laughs> There's a fine support, but uh, at some point it's everybody does their own shit, you know, in their own navel. So uh, I do small, small new music and they do the bigger ones. Oscar, you've kind of illuminated some frustrations that you've felt from the government. If you don't mind just like telling us a little bit about what some of those frustrations are and understanding at this point in time, you're not able to do shows. Can you describe that a little bit as far as what that's like from the perspective of the neighborhood and then also what you're doing to engage the state well, right now, since this is very new that we had to cancel the shows uh, because of the neighbors, and uh, this is a problem for a lot of European countries and US and everywhere. So uh, I think since we're in the middle of it, like right now, uh, I feel like all the uh, venues who work together are basically coming together and uh, yeah, we're going to contact the politicians who are in charge of um, things related to uh, what we're doing and uh, we see how much pressure we can put on them or how much they are, will be able to help us because um, everyone wants to live, feel the pulse of the city and uh, whatever. Uh, so everyone wants to live there, everyone wants to go out there but at the end of the day, it's um, I feel like they're making it hard for us to do it also because sweden has uh, ridiculous uh, laws when it comes to like alcohol and drugs so that makes it even more hard but i believe since we have a lot of people supporting this we'll see uh, the coming weeks uh, what the politicians will say uh, what we want to do because um, in some cities they have like this zone is like if you move here you have to be prepared that there are sound because living like cultural place then you can't really expect it to be quiet when you want it to be just because you want to live where it's nice and alive so i have much hope for the future and it's been pretty clear this weekend that there is enormous support in the community for the space i think every time i've walked by since i arrived this week i've seen place full so it's very clear that there's a huge group of people that do want the space to be there and to function as they enjoy it Lilia, are there zones, as Oscar described them, where someone moves and then there's an expectation that there's culture there, so that may mean there's noise? Yeah, it happens all the time, especially when people are moving to, yeah, like, uh, districts like Reeperbahn or Sternschanze, where a lot of uh, bars are and also clubs are. People, as you said, people would like to be part of it and then move there and in the end they complain because it's too loud so it's i think it's happening everywhere and it's part of gentrification that's also happening everywhere and um yeah i think it's it's important that also the city takes care of that these like cultural spaces are getting prevented from that happening so if i mean for you you have been there before this person moved there who complained right or no, in our case it's not really like the gentrification is um, most of the neighbors have lived there for some time but the circumstances have made that uh, we got complaints 
like big complaints this spring and there have been shows in this venue for like eight years and Fidens has been alone for three years so it's more like circumstances for example one guy used to work night shifts and now he's not and now he's complaining and uh, uh, so in our case it's not really that people have moved there and want to get rid of us it's more complicated but that happens in Hamburg as well so it's uh, it's just it's always one person complaining and then he gets to shut the whole place down because yeah there's a complaint and then police says yeah please I mean don't like we're not trying to be assholes like everybody deserves a decent sleep and uh, we have a dialogue with like most neighbors except uh, uh, one neighbor don't want us around which makes it hard but then again it's like not trying to be an asshole but it's like if say Five thousand people want something and three people don't. Like, what do we do? So now I feel like the government needs to get involved, like to do something about this. Because if not, everything is going to be fucking espresso house everywhere. No, I think that's a super fair point. If a city wants to be a place where there's culture, it has to support it in earnest. And I think one of the sorts of things that we've heard throughout the panels is that there needs to be sort of a level of honesty between all of the parties involved and transparency. And some of it may be looking as simple as that in reality, these spaces are anchors for the whole community. And one of the things that the, sort of the pandemic has done has pulled us out of those spaces. And so we need to kind of like get the habit back of people going back out, people buying tickets, doing things in a manner in which they had done before. Shifting for a moment, I'll throw this to Amira. What are some of the things that you do as a venue to encourage people to get out more or to break out of the Netflix and chill realm? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe I, I think I should rewind a bit because not for you guys to get a wrong impression about me selling tickets like poor. After a venue is done around 11, we'll become a net nightclub. So that's where we earn our money. So it's not just like uh, concerts in, in Denmark. You don't make any money. You cannot live off doing concerts as a private venue. So for us, it's uh, doing soul, funk and disco <laughs> during the whole night until five in the morning, which earns the money to have our venue. I think that's a huge factor for the live music because mostly they will show up while the concert is still on. If it's death metal or jazz, I mean... Maybe they'll come like a f around 50 and five of them will be interested. So, and they'll come again next day. So I think that's uh, the positive thing about us being a dual thing, uh, both a nightclub and a venue. Um, and when there's like not that many opportunities in the city, uh, for my tickets for my concerts cost around 80 to 200 kroner, then it's affordable for everybody. And easier to come across. I don't know how it is for you guys. Lilia, how are you sort of getting people back out again? Or how are you sort of working towards getting people into the habit of buying tickets? Like, Is there a lot of interaction with the artists? Is there also like discovery opportunities because you have two stories? Um, good question. Like we're trying, still trying to figure it out, I think. And I think it's a natural process of people like breaking out of that you gained habits of staying at home. And I think it's like, yeah, each one individually has to come back to that point where they want to go out again. And um yeah, but we still have like a big audience that is coming on a regular basis. So some people are coming to see shows like three times a week and uh, it's always the same faces, which is quite nice because they're still there after uh, having the club shut down for two years. 
So that's, that's nice. But what I see is that not that many young people are coming. So there's like the steady base of people who, who are always there, but they are getting older. But like for like in the punk and metal scene and so on, I don't see that many younger people following. And I think that's a problem, problem. And I don't really know how to change that because I think a lot of them are also not, uh, they didn't grow up with going to concerts, but maybe i don't know enjoying music via streamings or tiktok and they have other ways of yeah getting to know music and yeah so i don't don't really know of course you have to ask bands as well to like support the local venues or other venues they're playing at and um coming to local bands or support of local bands That was also one positive effect of uh, COVID because, um, yeah, for two years or in between when we could open again, um, there weren't many bands from uh, foreign countries be able to come to Germany or Europe. So that was the first time we had a lot of mainly bands from Germany playing and being able to pay them um, a high fee because we had funding for that time. And yeah, that, so for the local scene, it was quite nice, I think. I'm gonna stamp in because the same for us. It's like the same crowd just came back. Uh, same people going to the same uh, the concerts like every single day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then there's like uh, the generation shift for us. There's a lot of younger people, but uh, there's a, been like a generation sh shifting after COVID. For us in Denmark, like, they've been so hungry to come out and party. So uh, the the Like the party nightclub scene hasn't changed. That's just idiotically uh, insane back. And that changes. But for us, we have experienced that a lot of, you know, th there was a lot of babies coming during COVID. <laughs> And uh, a lot of the older audience just disappeared because there was like some children to take care of. <laughs> But um, we experienced that there's a lot of like a new generation of the younger audience coming through now. Uh, for us at least. Oscar Fiedens was one of the few places where people could see live music relatively frequently during the pandemic by virtue of sort of being active in that time and being able to kind of track things on like a day-to-day -day basis instead of like being closed for extremely long periods of time. Did you sort of see the same thing that Amira and Lilia did in terms of generational shifts? Well, personally, I feel like there is a lot of interest uh, from especially like the kids that I meet uh, mostly through the skateboarding scene uh, kids who are like 17 20 or something like that and uh, one guy he asked me like but dude I've only been to like raves before like how how do you f find out about these punk shows you just ask and I directed him to it and he said like oh, this is so much more fun <laughs> but yeah fuck yeah, it is it's nothing bad about rave but but for example uh, Trucks Up Alaska was uh, uh, the biggest center for alternative music in Gothenburg and it uh, ended in 2019 I think so these kids never had a chance to experience that uh, so it's hard for them to find out where to go but uh, the interest is there i feel and especially at our venue like yeah you have to be 18 years old but during daytime there's a lot of kids so it's everything from like 15 to 60 years old so i feel that there is a lot of interest uh, from the younger people they just don't don't know how to get it or where to go and also like the alcohol laws uh, kind of 
destroys it because like I've done shows in fucking France or Spain where you can actually like the 15 year olds are in the front and then you have like the 30 year olds and the 40 or 50 and that's fine and um, you show your fucking ID when you buy alcohol and um, look and behold like a um, uh, 15 year old isn't necessarily destroyed by standing next to a guy having a beer I mean it's fucking ridiculous like let the, let the kids be a part of it. Let them have fun. Like, what is this? Yeah, and also being attached to a record store and having a cafe component as well creates some accessibility points as well for people. I do want to kind of touch on some of the operational things that have happened. So outside of bands, but also, but just sort of internally within your organizations as well. I think it's been a recurring narrative here as far as seeing techs and seeing people who support musicians leaving the industry to find other callings or what have you. And and that's also affected the hospitality industry, which venues operate in. Did you have a lot of people leave you and not come back? And what is it like sort of having new people come in and maybe if they're young, it could be their first job in this industry. I think I'll start with you, Lilia. What's it like sort of bringing people into this industry? Because we were kind of lucky because most of the people stayed with us during the pandemic because um, the we got governmental aid, uh, so we didn't have to fire all the people, because, uh, but people got, at first it was like 60% of the normal salary, and then later it was 80%, and if you had kids it was 87%, I think, so almost the full um, loan you would get if you were working regularly, which was nice because then people could maybe find other jobs in between to be able to pay that remaining 40% that was missing. And because of that, we were able to keep most of the staff, but of course not all of them, and especially uh, regarding technicians, um, because they found other jobs in between that were better paid. And then, of course, they were used to these better paid jobs. And, um, which we just as a venue that size can't afford. And that has changed a lot because before, like, we are existing for like 26 years. And at the beginning of Hafenklang, there were a lot, lot of people working for free. So it was more like a squad kind of vibe. And later it became more professional. So we could hire people and yeah, they could live from the job there. And I think that is changing as well. So people are not really into that kind of jobs anymore because they see other opportunities um working yeah other jobs maybe not in the music scene itself but being a technician at a theater maybe and they are getting paid way more money so that is kind of missing i think so people are not that enthusiastic anymore work, working in that like at a club because um it's more about money not so much about the music anymore and also regarding uh, staff that is working at the bar i think a lot of people um like students for example they also have maybe other jobs they're doing so there's not that many young people uh if they're 18 or so they're not so into working at bars anymore as they used to i think Amira, how do you sort of navigate some of the challenges? I mean, you're an owner-operated venue and you have 30 staff and you're not only an owner-operator, but you're also a leader to young people that come in. Just in the way that small venues are crucial for bands as they come up, it's also crucial for the people that work there. So how do you sort of take that role and what are some of the challenges that you've experienced? Well, for us, it was quite the opposite. We were pretty fucked after COVID because... Uh, only seven of our 30 employees were left uh, came back after COVID 
Um, so we had to get a whole new staff. Not saying that I'm old, but there's a, a totally a generational uh, shifting going on. And uh, for at least the two of us, it's more um, like we talked about it earlier, like, like micromanaging now because they're everything from like changing sex, their sex that becomes an issue on the workspace. You know, it's like never experienced that before in the 12 years we had have had headquarters we also have a another bar called sway um never experienced those type of stuff before but now it's like uh, you have to be their uh, mom and their dad and and their guide and their like uh, each and every single employee you have to be around in a different way um so it's been actually pretty hard after covid like uh, managing the new generations of employees at least for us. Do the young people's friends come to shows though? Um, yeah, actually they are. We have a nice culture. I mean, everybody likes to hang out when they have, when they're off, uh, off job at headquarters. So that's nice. They bring their friends, but, um, in between you can get a bit of a problems with uh, mixing up what, uh, bipolar and bi- non-binary is, for example. Yeah. Oscar, I know that or I understand Fidens is pretty tight as far as the crew. Did you have to bring new people into Fidens at any point? And what's it kind of been like uh, incorporating new people? Yeah, well, uh, now we have, um, I think we're like six employees and um, one friend is standby, comes and works sometimes. So we have uh, three of them is what we call the kids of Fidens, They're like um, early 20s, like really excited about it. And um, my two bosses, Jenny and Emma and me are basically in the same age. We are out of time, unfortunately. Thank you to the panelists for this lovely conversation. Thank you to all of you for coming out and supporting this event and supporting independent music. And thank you to Abyss and Westside for having us. 